0: Welcome back to the Global Greek Influence, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the dynamic world of global Greeks in the realms of technology, cutting-edge scientific and engineering innovation, entrepreneurship and business, also special topics on politics and history. I'm your hostess, Panayoto Menidou, and I'm thrilled to have you join us once again. If you want to stay updated and never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and more. Your support means the world to me. For even more engagement, be sure to follow our podcast's Twitter account, Facebook page and LinkedIn page. It is the best way to stay up-to-date with the latest episodes, connect with me directly and even suggest topics you would love to explore. But wait, there is more! For just €2.99 a month, you can unlock a world of exclusive content. By becoming a Premium Subscriber, you will gain access to exclusive video episodes available only on Spotify, get sneak peeks of upcoming interviews and enjoy special episodes that dive deep into fascinating topics. So get ready to immerse yourself in the captivating stories and influential figures that have shaped the Global Greek Influence and impact the world today. Join us on this exciting journey of discovery and celebration. Thank you for being part of the Global Greek Influence Community. Professor Dimitris Drikakis is my guest today. Professor Drikakis is the Vice President for Global Partnerships, Executive Director for Research and Innovation at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus and the Defense and Security Research Institute President. For the past almost 30 years, Professor Drikakis has held academic and executive posts at various UK universities, including the positions of the Executive Dean in Engineering and Professor of Engineering Science and Executive Director of the Space Institute at the University of Strathclyde, the head of the Institute of Aerospace Sciences, professor of fluid mechanics and computational science at the University of Cranfield, as well as he held senior academic and research posts in Germany and France. We were introduced to Professor Drikakis at the beginning of this year in the episode The AI Age of Predictions, where we discussed how artificial intelligence and computational science became predictive technologies, how artificial intelligence impacts on innovation how it accelerates the energy sector, and how artificial intelligence calls for reapproaching the value and purpose of the human mind. Today, with Professor Drikakis, we will explore the frontiers of artificial intelligence through the fields of safety, the potential environmental impacts of intensified space exploration in the upper layers of our atmosphere, and the transformative intersections of AI with fluid dynamics and health crises. As we draw our discussion to a close, Professor Drekakis will offer us a glimpse into the key factor in the future application of AI-SET to revolutionize the field. Welcome to the show, Dimitri. Thank you very much. Thank you very much,
1: Yota. All the best to your show.
0: Safety management is fundamental at both the business and national levels due to its significant consequences on human well-being, economic stability and overall societal progress. Moreover, effective safety practices are crucial in mitigating the impact of disasters, ensuring resilience and minimizing the potential devastation caused by unforeseen events. Safety management systems follow two primary processes – It's contributing to a comprehensive safety framework. The reactive process engages incident management and incidental investigation in timely responses during unfolding incidents. In efficient incident management, we aim to minimize potential damages. In the incident investigation, we dive deeper into the root causes of incidents, initiating corrective and preventive actions as needed based on the findings. The proactive process adopts a forward-thinking approach to risk mitigation based on the triad of risk management, audits, and inspections and training. The integration of advanced AI models has revolutionized our ability to detect complicated trends and patterns within vast data sets. As we navigate the dynamic advancements in AI technology, how could recent trends in AI technology influence our approach to risk prediction and safety management?
1: Okay, so you you touched on a number of issues here. I, I think before we talk about um, AI and how AI can help, I think safety, uh, we should say that safety is always an issue of uh, cultural uh, understanding and cultural uh, approach. So most of the accidents uh, usually occur and, and errors and incidents occur because there is no cultural uh, uh, understanding by the individual, actually, how, how safety should be approached. Uh, and in certain sectors, that um, uh, the, the safety is of paramount importance because the impact is not going to, to be that we will you know, have impact on a couple of people or a small team of people. It may have impact on you know, the society as a whole. See, for example, pandemic, or see, for example, the operation of a, a nuclear power plant, or, or um, uh, you know, uh, other areas. Then, then, of course, the cultural uh, element uh, becomes more important, and uh, uh, it's increasingly more difficult, actually, to to implement the change of culture. We know that there are challenges there in terms of the cultural environment, and uh, the question is how we can. Um, Use emerging technologies, including AI, in order to ensure that uh, uh, the safety uh, will be implemented, regardless of, of how people uh, may or may n- may or may not be, uh, you know, hundred percent switched on to uh, implement the, the safety processes. So, I think th- this has different implications, in different sectors. So. And we can touch a number of different examples uh, ranging from uh, you know medicine, medical practice to aviation to, to nuclear safety. Now the underlying common factor in, in terms of uh, enabling technologies like AI is that we can use data and behavioral data uh, to um, see where the current problems is, the issues with the practitioners in each sector to make the procedures um, uh, more easily uh, applicable and, and more safely uh, and, and effectively uh, implementable in, in different uh, practical environments. I think this is where the machine learning and the AI can provide us with a, 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 an understanding which goes beyond correlation. All, for example, say, if, if you have not slept well, then next morning it is uh, more likely that you will cause an accident uh, at work, if you are in manual work. But that, that's correct, but the correlation that uh, no good sleep equals to many accidents doesn't bring causation. So we, we need to, to correlate, but at the same time to make sure that there is a, a causation uh, explanation behind this. And, and this should be done um, based on, on correct data, Uh, data which are not just noise and uh, uh, provide wrong information, misleading information. And and certainly with an open mind that this data is not panacea for solving the problem, but is a kind of an advisory uh, set of information that we will use to guide uh, the modification of uh, procedures, of practices, and also of cultural changes that may need to occur depending on different sectors.
0: You're absolutely right to underline that safety is a cultural issue. It can pose a cultural challenge to societies and to organizations. It has come uh, to my attention at a personal level and at a professional level, especially in Greece. Despite uh, the safety guidelines uh, for a procedure, most of the people tend to override uh, these uh, guidelines As in life, also in science, there is uh, a distinction between correlation and causation. As a researcher yourself, have seen that uh, causation and correlation are two distinct aspects in research. As we discussed before this interview, you are well known to most people as a rocket scientist, a specialist and an expert in fluid dynamics modelling, which can be applied from the aviation to healthcare and especially to the spread of urban viruses, where fluid dynamics uh, play an important role in uh, modelling the behaviour at large-scale viruses that uh, can cause a significant impact in the society.
1: Yeah, I, I think there are, again, two different directions of travel here. One is that AI itself has its own challenges Okay, that, that we need to uh, elucidate more, understand, uh, because AI, if we want to be truthful, is not a, a practical tool uh, right now. I mean, AI is used by uh, advertisement companies like Google uh, or uh, media, social media companies, Meta, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not used in medical practice. It's not used in in aerospace. It's not used in uh, energy and environment. And many products that are called AI-driven products are not AI-driven products. Are simply they have some algorithms embedded onto the, the, the products, but there is not an intelligent system. It's not a, a system that will understand itself what needs to be done, and, and, and then the system will react, and, and or act, and, and, and implement actually um, uh, a process or a procedure, take the system itself, the decision. So I think We have to be very, very careful with the hype about AI as well. So I I think right now we have more advanced computing. We have better algorithms. The the algorithms have an ability to learn. We learn ourselves about the behavior of the algorithms. Let's consider also that machine learning doesn't have a a strong mathematical theory behind this. It's based on uh, principles of linear algebra and uh, some information science. So there are many stochastic things there that we can't even control sometimes. So we need to understand actually how these methods uh, are applied to different uh, uh, problems. In my case, I apply them to a number of different uh, engineering science problems and uh, applied physics problems. Uh, But but there's a lot of potential actually as a a technology to to look at it, how we can make it to be accurate and effective in a bespoke manner. So you, you can't say I have a model which can be applied to everything. You need to take it as... A courses for horses, as we say in English. Okay, so that that's one thing. The other thing is, no matter what AI you have, emerging technologies, is, is the human will. I mean, there are plenty of examples, including the the, the disaster with the trains in Greece uh, about a year ago, six months ago, that it was a safety failure at all levels, starting from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. So no matter what AI you have, so if, if, if you don't have the will to make the system work effectively and safely, the system will not benefit from emerging technology. So it goes hand in hand, actually, the technology with the human perspective and the political, actually, we how these methods will be um, used for the benefit, actually, of the society. So I think there are two different issues there that they are intertwined, but at, at the same time, we should not uh, put so much emphasis onto the technology. We need to to understand that the technology is just one component and there are other threads that we need to look at in order to make it work.
0: Exactly, my last comment was on purpose made simply because I wanted to remind ourselves why and how the train accident at Tempe on the last day of February this year happened in Greece it was a failure, as you quite rightly mentioned, of safety at all levels, from uh, the political decision-making to the organizational safety design to the training, the procedures followed, the safety uh, sensors that have never been implemented and were paid for by the European Union and by the Greek taxpayers tenfold. And we are still not sure if they have been delivered.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the things we need to bear in mind because I work very closely with um, uh, very sensitive things uh, uh, like nuclear um, related stuff. And, and, and I have learned that no matter how much safety procedures and uh, guidelines and uh, technologies you implement, there, there is always, you can minimize the risk, but you cannot eliminate it. Okay, I mean, let, let's make it clear. I mean, you you can prevent things from happening. That's very important. And this is where technology can help you uh, to prevent things. But you cannot eliminate completely uh, uh, the, the case of an accident. I mean, there are accidents that happen in Switzerland, train accidents. There are accidents that happen in, okay, in Germany. But the only difference is that the accident that happened in Greece was of, of a colossal failure of the system where there the accidents belong to this margin, the, the low margin that I just mentioned, that you cannot eliminate everything. I, I think there are a number of challenges there that, that we need to consider. And, and I believe the research needs also to be directed towards these challenges. So we talked about causation. We talked about correlation causation. There's uncertainty quantification in AI. There is also uh, questions about the data we use. So how much data is enough for training models?
0: We will discuss about uh, the data sets and any other aspects regarding uh, the accuracy of AI in predicting uh, incidents uh, later on. Just allow me to add another comment. In the case of Tembi in Greece, it was definitely a case of safety. It was not a case of AI. There was no AI applied there. We should underline that, if. The sensors that were supposed to be put in place, the two trains would be halted unless there was a failure in the detection of the sensors, if they were poorly maintained. That's another issue. But they haven't been in place to halt the two trains that were in a collision route. Mentioned earlier, AI is not yet self-trained. We train AI, we train artificial intelligence, we train uh, the algorithms Even in the case of predictive medicine, they use machine learning algorithms based on data sets picked by people. So there's always a great impact on how the code will work based on data sets that we choose or that we are allowed to have access to.
1: You know, in in research, there are different algorithms. Some of them are supervised learning. Some of them are unsupervised. You have self-supervised you have deep learning, different categories of deep learning, so you have all kinds of things. So you you have unsupervised learning as well that uh, you can classify data and and, and its method is uh, suitable for different things and different applications. So you you need to look at the particular application actually and see which method is is the most suitable. But, But I think... The, the, there are levels there, how you go actually from uh, the technology readiness level, which is the fundamental research that uh, scientists and uh, academics and uh, researchers in industry carry out, to the level that you have an algorithm that is robust enough and accurate, and you say, I can deploy this algorithm and, and let the algorithm actually make the decisions. This, this is a completely different um, ball game, and, and, and you need to go through all these steps like any other invention. You start from a prototype, Algorithms can also be. There are prototype algorithms, and then once you understand them well, you understand actually the uncertainty these algorithms have. Then you can go to the next level, use them with a broader set of data, use use them with data actually which are quite diverse. Uh, you understand the bias of these algorithms. You try to reduce. You try to minimize the abstraction. You, you try. There, there are a number of things there that we can talk about how the algorithms can can be used. But if we ever want to have uh, algorithms which are intelligent, then the real artificial intelligence will emerge from unsupervised learning. So it will be algorithms that don't have, don't need actually to define the vector inputs uh, by the user, but the algorithms themselves will select what is the uh, best way actually to enter the data into them, process them, and give you the, the result which may be a probability, may be a decision, may be uh, anything or sets of data that, that that you want to update. So I think it's the, it's the unsupervised part that will become increasingly more important if we want to go from the machine learning to um, uh, the so-called AI. Because right now there is very little intelligence into the AI, it's, it's simply algorithms that, you know, uh, simplistically speaking, uh, process and interpolate data and, and give you some predictions. Uh, but the intelligence will come when these algorithms can communicate with each other, can give you answers that you can't even imagine, or or they can use the data themselves and select the data themselves, which are useful for the algorithms to provide the answer. So we still have some, uh, you know, room. Uh, to go and investigate before we get to this point. But I I think the unsupervised learning will will be ultimately uh, the the approach that will bring intelligence uh, into the so-called AI.
0: Now, let's uh, move on to the environmental consequences of space exploration, which has not really been intensified, but as the global dialogue on climate change and space exploration intensifies, there is a growing need to examine the role of rocket pollution in contributing to a potential challenge. Against the backdrop of advancing space exploration, investigating the environmental footprint or examining the environmental footprint of rocket launches can become an issue as we do not know what magnitude of rocket launches can affect the mesosphere, consequently inviting us to assess the potential implications on our planet's climate system. With other researchers at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus, you evaluated the potential effects of a rocket launch on atmospheric pollution by looking into the heat and mass transfer and rapid mixing of the combustion byproducts for high altitudes into the atmosphere that is at the mesosphere. To what extent could rocket pollution contribute to climate change? Could AI play a role in this context?
1: Yeah, that's a... A very important topic that has not been, uh, has not received a lot of attention actually by the international community. And I think the reason the topic has not received uh, extensive um, uh, interest is because we don't have a a large number of launches right now. So there are some launches that occur every month, but we don't have hundreds of launches that uh, take place daily. So that's the main reason. Now, if, if, if you look at its rocket, especially the, the large rockets like Falcon uh, rockets and uh, that SpaceX uh, uses and, and other companies will use in the future, we have a significant uh, footprint of um, a CO2, CO and NOx into the atmosphere. Now, we don't understand how these pollutants disperse into the atmosphere and how, to what extent the atmosphere is affected. This is why I'm very, very careful not to use the term climate change or climate crisis, because scientifically, uh, in order to say that something occurs, you have to see it repeatedly over a long period of time. And my time span is is very short compared to the time span of planet Earth. So there are significant effects from the CO2, CO, and NOx locally, because you change the composition of the atmosphere, but we don't understand extensively how these effects actually disperse, uh, affect the atmosphere as a whole. Now, the interesting thing, however, is that if we have this effect locally, and we know that there is a large amount of CO2 and NOx, what should we do in order to prevent the further pollution of the planet from these rockets, which are very welcome, in other words, to have them because they will help us in a number of things, from uh, placing satellites to uh, explore uh, space and and, uh, the universe, and I'm fully supportive of of this kind of research. Um, What can we do to minimize the potential impact? Because if you have hundreds of launches which are unregulated uh, and we know the launches we have probably in the west but we don't know how many launches occur in other parts of the planet then we need somehow to address this issue and the issue is very complex because if we want to address it essentially we have to address the the design of a rocket especially the fuels we use and um and and how the, the whole design the propulsion system actually functions uh, by the way, some rockets uh, don't use uh, material uh, fuel that uh, emits CO2 and CO, but even the uh, hydrogen, when it's emitted to the atmosphere, is considered to be a potential harmful because any any, any amount of quantity, which is beyond a certain level, can, can also be considered harmful uh, in any system, including the atmosphere. So I, I think we need to, to look at these issues. This is what... Our study actually uh, tried to prompt. uh, No big issue right now, but we may have a big issue in the future. So try to think about it. And great companies like SpaceX, like uh, other companies, can put some resources into researching about these matters and and try to collaborate with experts and uh, universities, research institutes, and see how uh, we can mitigate the potential effects. So that's that's what I think we need to do. I'm a, a, a great supporter of minimizing the footprint on the atmosphere and on the soil, <laughs> uh, okay, in, in terms of any kind of footprint, either it is from plastic or it is from fossil fuel or it is from uh, uh, nuclear waste. But I think we have the methods and the techniques and the scientific knowledge to uh, develop and implement technologies. And there are existing technologies, that we can use in order to mitigate this effect. So, it's not a catastrophe, but we need to take the potential effects into account before we go to the next level, which will be, we increase the number of launches by 1,000 every year, 10,000 and so forth.
0: Technological innovation and the integration of artificial intelligence have become increasingly prevalent, transforming many sectors, However, as AI permeates critical domains such as healthcare and nuclear weapons, the ethical dimensions of its application demand careful examinations. What ethical considerations should be addressed when applying AI in healthcare and nuclear weapon domains? Understand these two sectors are entirely different when it comes to AI applications, but let's see them synergistically in terms of ethics for AI. So I
1: think that... um if there is a sector that is going to benefit greatly, actually, from the use of artificial intelligence, this is uh, the healthcare. care. There's a lot there that can be learned. There's a number of uh, data that is uh, generated uh, hourly by practitioners and hospitals. And, uh, and AI can benefit from this data, train models, and give you some uh, uh, predictive capabilities in terms of the uh, knowledge gap. For example, uh, what happens in, uh, in intensive care, in emergency rooms, um, uh, uh, diagnostics, and a number of things. So healthcare, I think, should be, if, if we are going to expect a huge impact of artificial intelligence in, in the coming years, and coming years, I mean, from three to five years, this, in my opinion, would be in, in the healthcare. However. The biggest challenge now in the healthcare is how you share data, uh, anonymized data, uh, and, and overcome the bureaucratic challenges behind this. So, the, the, the challenge in, in healthcare is not technology. The, the challenge in the care is the bureaucracy. Okay, so, if, if you overcome the bureaucracy you streamline the processes, in terms of how um, uh, privacy, uh, insurances, insurance matters, uh, sharing of data. I mean, I'll mean, i give you an example. Most of the uh, uh, NHS trusts in the UK don't share data between uh, each other. Hospitals, they don't share data between each other. So all the data generation we have somehow is lost. And still practitioners take a piece of paper and write down actually uh, things and they have them manually in this Pieces of paper will disappear after a while. So it's a matter. It's not a matter of developing new technologies. There, it's a matter to to change the system bottom up and make it work with the least bureaucracy, streamlining, having the information in place that you need to have. For example, if I record myself what my blood pressure is throughout the day, and I do this throughout the year through a wearable device, for example, then the doctor. We know much better what my analytics are and and how I have to change my lifestyle in order to prevent uh, certain things happening. So it's not rocket science there. We have the technologies. We know how to do it. It's simply the bureaucracy and the system that is obsolete. In most of the countries, actually all the countries have an obsolete health, health service system. And the increasing cost that is due to administration. So we increase the administrative cost instead of increasing the technology cost. In the implementation and, and the recruitment of doctors, medical doctors, that we need to increase more and more. That's a big problem. It's not a problem of AI there, but AI certainly can play an important role. Now, nuclear weapons, um, I have a very strong view about it. We should not use AI in nuclear weapons. Because the people who operate in this sector, especially in the West, are very thorough people, people who have training over decades, they're very serious individuals, technically, professionally, ethically. So I fully, I have every trust in them, ranging from engineers to decision makers. So at at least for, for the Western countries that I know very well. So there I think AI is not going to help us. It may increase the uncertainty. And the best thing to do is carry on exactly what we did for many years, for many decades. We never had an accident for nuclear weapons in the West. We never had an incident, to the best of our knowledge, of nuclear weapons in, uh, in the West. And we very cautiously use this technology, which is, or develop this technology, which is a different discussion whether or not this technology should exist. This is a completely different discussion, and we can have it uh, on another occasion. Uh, but certainly, we have not experienced any challenges in terms of risk and safety to date. And therefore, I don't see how AI can contribute to uh, making the processes we already have much safer. Uh, but that's my experience by interacting with this sector for 20 uh, years.
0: Definitely, AI can help, um, as in the case of developing a model for the way or the mechanisms that an airborne um, virus spreads. Similarly, when it comes to nuclear disasters, what would be the case of protecting uh, the general population from uh, nuclear accidents?
1: Look, there are two different things here. One one is the nuclear power plants and the other is the the nuclear weapons In, in both domains, um, which are related to nuclear, but they are they are completely different industries. Uh the, the processes and the procedures there are of the highest standards. And this is why we never had a, a nuclear in nuclear weapons on an accident. We didn't have accidental nuclear weapon <laughs> exploding. We exploded nuclear weapons, incorrectly perhaps, because we shouldn't do that. But uh, and this is why there is a nuclear test ban treaty since the 70s, early 70s. But we never had an accident. Now, in nuclear plants, we had a couple of accidents of minor impact in the West, because, again, we have very strict procedures over the past 40 years. We had safety issues there that it was obvious that either the standards did not work properly, the culture was not in the right place, like uh, what happened uh, uh, with uh, uh, the nuclear accident plan in uh, the former Soviet Union, uh, Chernobyl and, and also accidents that we they could be they we could prevent like the accident we have in uh, Fukushima uh, and we learned a lesson there which was a natural disaster that led to an accident but I, I I think the AI there will not help per se with the safety of the nuclear plants because the procedure already in place are very very strict. And the training of the individuals who are there is is of the highest standard. So putting something else may not necessarily help. So I have a a, a bit, you know, strong view about it. But of course, for the pandemics, uh, uh, climate disasters and other things, certainly um, uh, sophisticated technologies, forecasting technologies will greatly help. We knew that there is something going on in China. We know that there is something going on in China with uh, uh, lung infections. Did, did did we implement any measures? So we know, for example, that face masks will help us. I traveled recently in, in five, uh, four different countries in Europe, and, and nobody actually uh, wore masks on the, on, on the planes, at the airports, in crowded spaces. If the airline tells you that you don't board, Unless you wear a face mask, then you will wear a face mask. So I was on a plane. Actually, I was stranded at an airport in the UK for two and a half hours in the plane, okay, on board. Nobody wore masks. People were coughing. So you see all these things, and I was the only one that wore masks. So if the airline had implemented a strict measure, following advice from the government the authorities, then this will not be a problem. It's a top-down problem. The, 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 the governments, the authorities have to do the right thing. If they don't do the right thing for political reasons, because the people will complain, uh, they may lose votes and things like that, no matter how much AI you have and, and uh, you know...
0: Just a comment. The reason I asked for nuclear weapons and when it comes to nuclear power and how AI could have been predicting uh, not just such disasters but also how to take measures at a national level is because especially in Greece or the entire European Union area in the Eastern Mediterranean or in the Mediterranean Sea is close to a region where nuclear weapons are developed, especially from Iran. We don't know if they have stopped, if they have really stopped. We have countries like Turkey who are developing nuclear power stations. As in the case of 40 years ago, the accident of Chernobyl in today's Ukraine, uh, still we have many nuclear power plants in our area, which we do not know if they operate under this strict safety training and design as in other European countries. So when it comes to AI helping us would be in the case of not being able to control how others behave. Right.
1: I, I, I think, again, this is not an issue of AI. We know that Turkey, for example, uh, developed with the help of Asia a, a power plant there, and, and Greece never objected to that, did not discuss with other countries uh, any concerns. So as far as myself is concerned, I'm, I, I think uh, The Greek government, the Cypriot government, other governments in the southeast uh, of the Mediterranean are happy to have this power plant there. Or at least they don't see that there is a concern. I have raised this issue, actually, about the power plant in Turkey about a year ago, six months ago, in another interview, And and, uh, other people have done the same. But there is no... There is no um, proactive response from any authority. So I don't think it is an issue in AI here. It's, it's a political will I think next week uh, uh, President Erdogan will visit
0: Greece or perhaps the Prime Minister should, should discuss this issue. You are continually pushing the boundaries of knowledge and innovation with a distinguished career marked by cutting-edge research and contributions. The anticipation of upcoming progress and projects in your field causes excitement and curiosity. So the question that arises is if you could share any upcoming advancements or projects in your field that you find particularly exciting.
1: Yeah, the the most exciting thing we're doing right now with my group is uh, trying to reduce the uncertainty in um, uh, machine learning methods and try to understand better, actually, the the, um, um, issues relating to the abstraction, causation, consistency, uh how we can generalize these methods and how we can make these methods invariant of uh, transformations in the data. So there are a number of aspects that uh, still require a lot of investigation. They have been touched uh, by a few researchers, but there is a huge amount of work that still needs to be done. and, and we do this in relation to, to a couple of different applications, including the virus spreading and understanding, issues of environmental conditions in uh, closed spaces, some issues related to um, aerospace applications, but um, increasingly we look into medical applications, but the underlying structure of these algorithms will affect any kind of applications. It's very generic what we do. So, for example, the issue of uh, how you can generalize the application of methods. So, if you train the method in a particular set of data, can you take these methods and and apply it to another set of data? And what are the Uh, constraints that you have uh, when you make this transfer. So what kind of conditions you have to impose. Um, uh, And the same thing is uh, with uh, consistency, physical consistency. So the data, the so-called data scientists, what they do is they take data that uh, they don't care what this data is. They throw them into an algorithm and say, okay, this is a prediction or, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, forecast of some data. But but every sets of data, especially in my field, which is uh, the broader field of applied physics, engineering science, uh, or biomedical sciences, you you have some physics that influence uh, uh, the data, and, and and you need to understand how the physics actually is connected to the actual prediction. So the 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 consistency, generalization of the algorithm implementation, invariance, causation, abstraction, all all these are very very important things that need to be understood before you take an algorithm from the research level, laboratory level, and to put it in practice. So this is, I believe, it is an exciting project for me, and uh, I think it's going to have impact on a number of areas.
0: As we draw this episode and our discussion to a close, Dimitri, one final question. What do you believe will be the revolutionary factor in the future application of artificial intelligence? The AI will become intelligent,
1: if it becomes more unsupervised. So it is the unsupervised learning that will make AI more intelligent. In terms of the humans, I, I think a piece of advice I would give is less hype, more research.
0: Thank you, Dimitri. As we conclude the AI Horizons Forecasting Tomorrow episode, where we explored the intersections of artificial intelligence, safety, environmental concerns and public health with the distinguished professor Dimitris Dirkakis, we expanded our understanding of the frontiers of innovation and knowledge. As we navigate the dynamic advancements in AI technology, we are left with a poignant question what could be the revolutionary factor in the future application of AI. I extend my sincere appreciation to you for sharing your expertise and insights, offering a glimpse into the exciting advancements and projects shaping the future of artificial intelligence.
1: Thanks a lot, Jota. I hope uh, that uh, people actually will take some points into account, especially people in my field and academics, and I hope uh, that uh, we'll have the opportunity to talk more about it again.
0: Thank you for joining us in this episode as we continue to travel through innovation and discovery. Stay tuned for more episodes where we continue to explore the ever-evolving landscape of cutting edge technology, engineering and science. Until next time, this is the Global Creek Influence signing off. Thank you all for staying until the end. Subscribe, follow and leave a review to show your support and spread the podcast message far and wide. Thank you for being part of the Global Greek Influence podcast family. Stay tuned and keep exploring the world of podcasts with a global Greek influence.